lot of checkmate. Knight to bishop, pen 15. Turning on a B. How? Ah, we bought a yellow. This is a Brian oh my God. Adams beat. He's doing, she's doing a close Sicilian. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Hello, and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast with a little double review for you. The Queen's Gambit and Pen15. Um, two shows that I think could not be more different. Yeah. <laughs> Except for girls are starring. Yeah. yeah. Which is rare. I mean, yeah, that's... They're... Two of, yeah. I think, the best shows of the year. Yeah, they're both and, good. Um, yeah, but starring like majorly female I cast. I am introducing my friend Ernest. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. That is me. Hello. <laughs> Who would you like to introduce someone else? Mm-mm. No. Oh. <laughs> fucking asshole. Um, you fucking asshole. No, Drew, I think you should just introduce all of us. I'll introduce you. Okay. No, I don't trust you. <laughs> no, I'm Drew. That's Hunter. I you didn't even. I always give a nice little preamble to myself, like I am the, uh, I'm the bishop to the pawns of this podcast. Oh, there you go. See, that's yeah. that's demeaning to us. <laughs> I you guys are like a nice. You guys are kind of like the king, and I'm the queen. I'm just here to like protect you. I'm here to like clear out the paint. I don't know, man. Pawns pawns have a lot of power. The king is weak as fuck. Yeah, the king can't do shit. <laughs> Pawns can do more than the than yeah. the king. The queen can do a whole goddamn gambit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> As you can tell, we learned a lot about how chess works from this show. Um, this show is, I mean, it's kind of, I feel like every person that I know for the most part has either watched the show or is at least familiar with it. It's been in, like, either number one or in the top five on Netflix for... Like almost a month yeah. Yeah. at this point. And if you've seen it, it's not shocking. Yes, yeah. that's what I was about to say. Like going into it, I was very skeptical. I was like, what a, what is this show that is so popular that everybody's talking about that's kind of like swept up the conversation? But overall, it's it's a pretty easy show to get yeah. into. Well, pretty that, easy yeah. show for anybody to kind of get swept up in, no matter exactly. what your taste that's is. My main takeaway of the show is like it is designed to just be watched by anyone and enjoyed by anybody. And that's I'm not saying like it, it didn't necessarily connect with me as hard as uh, some other stuff uh, that I've seen even this year. But it's just flat good, you know. I know we talked about this a little bit off mic, and I think that I like this a good bit more than you, Drew, because I think that this is easily one of the best things of the year. Like by far, there's this not, is yeah, there's not many hundred percent going to be on my top ten of the year. Like probably fairly high up. Yeah, I think this show is like kind of a masterpiece for what it is. It's one of the rare shows that rides the line between being mass appeal and also just like like incredibly well like incredibly critically acclaimed yeah, like you could just every little thing about this show is so well done it's yeah it's well crap like the the main 
uh, adjective I would describe the show with is smooth, I think. Yes. Mm. It, it's very smoothly done. It's it's extremely simple in a lot of ways. Um, and because of that, it's perfect for Netflix. This is, by the way, every episode of this was directed by Scott Frank, who's mm-hmm. you know written and directed so many great things. It was co-created uh, by him. This based is, on a book. It's based on a book that the rights were bought for long, long ago um, by the other co-writer, um, like Alan Scott, I think is his name. Uh, that The rights were bought in 1992. Really interesting history with this because obviously the rights are extremely old. The original script was a feature film. Um, Which makes sense. I mean, this is one of those things now where like the future of movies is on TV. Exactly. But have you heard who was going to direct this feature film? Probably like Ron Howard. No. No. Late 2008 was when this was going to get produced. And it was going. I'll give you a couple guesses. It was going. I know who it is. So I I know. Yeah, I told you this already. (laughs) Is is am I on the right track with Ron? It's not even a director that it's not someone you would call a director. Oh, fuck it. But it was going to be directed by someone in late 2008 who didn't unfortunately didn't make it to late 2008. Oh, someone who's dead. Someone who uh, would have connected with the lead because of childhood prescription drug problems. Oh, shit. And that's why they were so interested. No, An blanking. Oscar winner. Oh, Heath Ledger. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to direct this. And like Scott Frank. Our boy. Yeah. Like they've talked about it and how like he had incredible ideas, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that is why he was so drawn to it because Beth, you know is similarly like a child prodigy yeah because the book is problems. is pretty old yeah 1983 yeah. well so even before that it was actually like the rights for it to be put into a screenplay were first purchased in like 1984 or 86 or something like that for the first time for it to be made into a movie and then uh um what's the name of the writer uh, alan scott no 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 of the book um or alan the oh, writer of the book is Walter Tevis. Tevis. Um, he passed away and then kind of the rights kind of got thrown up in the air because Tevis was supposed to be like kind of a co-writer on whatever the screenplay was going to be. And then they didn't really know what to do with it. So they just kind of got put up in that shelf of Hollywood of like eventually somebody will take this. But here's the thing is I don't think that this works as a movie. I think that this is like exactly what the miniseries format is perfect for is this kind of a story well the movie the movie would have had to be drastically different i don't think they would have been able to cover the amount of time that they cover in this yeah. show so i i love the the fact that this is a mini series because you do get to see her youth and her kind of mm-hmm. uh uh teenage years i don't think we'd get to see that in the movie version. no it the would movie, all it would all be not fleshed out the movie version would be mostly like the latter half of the mini series the mm-hmm. last couple episodes which i think are the best part of the mini series i like the the first stuff because it sets up the big payoffs at the end mm-hmm. you know you need that time in the orphanage in order to get the big payoffs totally. but the meat of it is those yeah the back half the last like three or four i would yeah. say um so anya taylor joy is mm-hmm. our our um protagonist protagonist and it's it's like a hard protagonist like as in like she's in almost every single scene of this show Mm -hmm. it all revolves around her um and beth Harmon. yeah she plays beth Harmon, who is uh from childhood you know she uh is very troubled she grows up in like an orphanage um she has like 
drug problems well in the orphanage well okay so before we start to like really dig into the plot um i think we should just wrap up spoiler free thoughts so i love the show i don't know if i'd be willing to jump ahead and like hunter and say that it's definitely going to be on my top 10 just because i've seen a lot of great tv this year Mm. and there's good competition but i i think it's worthy of the hype i think that that um there are things about it that like maybe could have been a little bit more developed or intense or or kind of followed through but what we get is really well put together i think it's very well shot very well directed well written well acted like every component is there very solid mm-hmm. yeah um me personally i think that i might have gravitated towards something that's just kind of goes for it a little bit more than this. Um, But then you would have ended up with something that isn't as appealing to a broad audience, you Mm -hmm. know, like uh, I I, am thinking about something like Chernobyl or the deuce. Those are not easy to watch shows, Mm -hmm. but those are shows that go for it. Those are shows that leave you with something incredibly like affecting to sit with this one. She's good at chess. <laughs> She's good at chess. Uh, there's dresses. Um, and people are are worried about her because she's uh, addicted to drugs. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into all of the details and spoilers. But you ultimately don't get left with, like, a heaviness. Which, granted, we don't really need right now in the world because everything's leaving us with a heaviness in 2020. So this is kind of like a really perfect show for the times and and it it, it works in the cultural conversation it it makes sense that everybody's talking about Mm -hmm. this show because it doesn't it doesn't beat you over the head it doesn't make you like sit with anything that like you don't want to sit with it's just a good fun tv time i so i mean i think that this is one of my favorite things i've seen this year because I really appreciate how streamlined this is. And maybe I think that that's might be what you guys wanted a little bit more of is maybe diving into some of the further plot details that we'll get into the spoiler section. But I like how this show is kind of just like a nonstop locomotive. Like it's just like we're on this track and you're just kind of on the ride. I think that this is like the perfect Netflix vehicle. Like it just works so well. You can just plow through this and like, a day or two days or something like that. I stretched this out over the course of a few days because I really, really loved it. Loved the way that looked. Loved the sound design behind it all. Of course, the acting. We will go on and on about the acting, I'm sure, because I think that might be the biggest highlight of the entire show. But I just, I like that this show is kind of just like the perfect distilled version of what the story could be. There's so many ways where it could have gone darker but I think that that ultimately makes for a worse show. Well, I, I think that one of the things that this show doesn't do without getting into spoilers is it doesn't ever linger on trauma. And you might think that maybe it could go in that direction and make it more dramatic. But I feel like a lot of things that I have seen this year yeah. and just the last few years have all like just been based around some kind of horrible trauma or something that influences the characters. I mean, the last 10 years of television. Exactly. And the fact that 
I mean, this isn't a spoiler to say that, uh, like, Annie Taylor-Joy, she isn't, like, molested as a child or, like, any... It's nothing that dramatic happens, like, in her life. It's just that she She has one thing that's extremely traumatic. It's traumatic, but it's not not traumatic in the TV way that we have seen. No, it was just not portrayed as very affecting, even though, like, it is as traumatic as being molested or whatever. Exactly, but it's not... It's it's the way that it's framed, and I think that a lot of that credit goes to Scott Frank. Scott Frank, of course, uh, he made Godless most recently for Netflix. want to watch a show that i watched the first couple episodes of and i really loved it and it's just a very very slow moving show so i kind of fell off of it but i do want to go back in um he also is is in that show a two-time oscar directed or oscar nominated uh screenwriter for logan and out of sight that's right um oh he did out of sight yeah he has like it's the perfect blend of writing and directing of course because he did both but his vision in this show is so so well put on the screen like everything that's coming out in his brain you can tell is just perfectly put on the screen from her just doing a bunch of uh drugs uh at night and just seeing the chess pieces move on the ceiling above her it's just a very well realized show and that's why i kind of like it seems like this is the best possible version of this show and i like seeing a show that maybe it might not have had the same ceiling of like a Watchmen or a Leftovers or Twin Peaks or any of these shows that we talk about that are some of our favorite things the last few years, it might not have ever had that kind of ceiling. But I think that this is as close to what the ceiling is. It's like when ceiling and floor completely meet. Like that Mm. this is just, this is right down the middle, the best possible version of this idea. And when you're just trying to appeal to a broad audience. Yeah, you know, exactly. You're not, well, I, you don't want to go for that niche. You want to go for as many different but types I think, of people. I do as think that there is some stuff that's like it's here for the nerds. Like there is some stuff uh, here yeah. without getting like too in the minutia of like how chess works. That's the thing. I don't fucking know what they're talking about for a lot of it, but it's made almost like a sports movie. Like this is the best sports movie of the year because it's yeah, just like that's, you feel that's all of the true. themes of a sports film without necessarily knowing like what the hell a Sicilian is or anything. Yeah. And thank God they did not have somebody <laughs> just explain like when the chess pieces move here, this is what this is. Yeah. Cause I don't fucking care. No, of course. That. And that, yeah, that is like most of the credit for this does go to Scott Frank, honestly, because uh, though like the chess of it all depends 100% on directing and obviously a lot on acting too but it's all about like the reaction of the people to what's happening because we do not know what's happening even if we understood chess we cannot process that entire chess board and figure out what moves are being made in that much time unless you're a very good chess and they're player. not lingering on no. it they're not giving you like well, yeah because the... they don't they know that like because yeah. they're not fucking stupid what idiot would make you understand chess like chess is really hard what idiot would watch a chess tv exactly. show <laughs> um <laughs> fucking idiots uh I Actually, do. very smart people would probably watch that. <laughs> people that are a lot smarter than people who I, listen to this podcast. I do think, though, that this show uh, could have been better. Um, I, I definitely do. Uh, and I, I think it was designed. I think it's per- literally perfect for Netflix because the other biggest thing I came away saying uh, as far as adjectives go, is digestible. Yeah, This is a digestible show. It's not going to upset anybody's stomach to watch. Uh, it's also good for Netflix because honestly, a lot of it is it's it's almost the only miniseries I've ever seen that is perfect to be on in the background. Like 
you can not watch a good chunk of every single episode and still fully understand what's happening in especially this show. like the the kind of middle chunk exactly you you really need the beginning and you really need the end but i think there, there are is, some pieces in like, the middle where if you, you can kind of exa- tune out. yeah if you pay attention it's great like that but the thing is you can completely ignore like a long like stretch of time in the show and look up and you're going to see Anya Taylor-Joy because every scene has her in it. Yeah. It's we're not skipping to multiple different plot lines, which is I would say 95% of shows or movies do that because that's just how they work. Yeah. She is the center of everything. So anytime you look up, you're going to see her interacting with this revolving cast of characters, which by the end is people we've all seen before. It like we stop being introduced to like new characters that matter about midway through and we just start like re meeting uh older people so you're gonna look up and see her interacting with someone we know uh and we know what it's about she's going it, the interaction will be about chess <laughs> yeah so and very very little of it is filler even even if you can't no, tune it, it out exactly it, it, you if you tune in you're getting so much yeah. out of it. So that's the thing that I was going to say is that I know that a lot of people are probably consuming the show this way, but I was so engrossed from day one. No, you definitely fully, can be. That's full, the thing. full disclosure, I had a really bad tummy ache last week. Uh, I was filled with gas he was, and I just... Hunter was farting last week. Oh, wow. No, I could not fart. That was the problem. Well, yeah. That I, was, yeah. I was so... I was having a really bad tummy ache. I was like, am I getting sick? Am I getting the Rona? Dear God, I need to tell everyone that I know. And and I just like had myself a nice cup of tea and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll throw on the Queen's Gambit. And I just watched four hours worth of this show. There like I just put it on and yeah. I was could not look away. I was so drawn in from the show. And unlike a lot of shows that you can kind of tune out and tune back in on and not really miss anything. We talked about that with the first few episodes of The Boys where it kind of feels like that. Um, but I think with this show like that, it is really deeply rewarding especially whenever we talk about these different characters that kind of leave the story and come back in if you kind of spend that time with them in other episodes it makes them all the more rewarding whenever they return it does the i think the bigger reason that i think it could have been better though is because um i don't want it to be like super dark or more dour because watching the pilot i was really not super into it because i was like this is going to be a dour fucking show because the pilot deals with her childhood which is dour and and there are moments where you think that it is going to really go in that direction so i didn't want it to be that because netflix has shows like that that are just very like dreary and like bordering on horror almost that's what the pilot felt like to Mm -hmm. me it was shot almost like it was going to become horror um, and I didn't want that, but dramatic plot points are really glossed over at every single turn in this show. Like the, it's, and it is by design, like I said, because this is a show that is meant to just be watched, like g- just to get through and like, like really hairy stuff might take, cause people to like, be like, okay, I need it. I need like a week before I turn this on again. And that is fine for what they're trying to do, but at a certain point, I want to watch my actors act, and instead, we're cutting away right at the moment where they're about to act. When a, they're about to fuck. A lot too. of the time, you're cutting away right when there's right when you're about to see some something really great because this show is very subdued and like it just keeps moving forward. And that is, you can see it as a positive, but you can definitely also see it as a negative because the best shows ever 
uh, show those moments. So I think you know? I push back against that just to say that whenever you say to see them act, I take that as to see them act very dramatically. And that's not what I was looking for in the show, mostly because there's a reason why Anya Taylor-Joy is in every shot of the show. This show is shot entirely from the per- from her perspective. It's never explicitly stated. Beth Harmon definitely has some kind of maybe it's something on she's kind of on the spectrum or something like that. There's definitely some kind of emotional detachment that she feels throughout this show. And you can feel that through our character and Anya Taylor-Joy nails the hell out of writing that line between like being able to form some kind of relationships, but also like she has math brain. Like she cannot, she's a genius. She cannot fully be like attached to like, Oh man, I just want to like have sex with this boy because that's not how her brain works. And thank God, I don't want that. Unless he's and a it chess feels boy. the same way with some of her own relationships. We'll talk about like whenever things get more dramatic, but I think that that would be untrue to her character. I we're bordering on spoilers at this point. So I want to kind of get into it. Uh, yeah. We can get into that right in the spoilers, but I think that that's, disingenuous to the show itself if it gets too dramatic well, so i that's fair but also like drama is what makes a show great if it's not a comedy and right. this show is missing drama that I, it could have no i think that it does have drama it has like it's it just, has sports movie drama yeah it just in a lot of ways it reminded me of the martian but like the martian is funny and lighthearted. And this is this not. is a show that's better than the movie The Martian. I don't think so at all. I think that this is a hundred. I it think is, that The it, Martian is fine. It, it is yeah, in a similar vein though, where it doesn't. Where it's it just like every commit. everything that you think is going to matter a lot doesn't matter. And yeah. s- the problem is for me more than anything with The Martian, it's a feature film, so it's okay if certain plot points have to yeah. get glossed over because it's short. This is this seven is, hours. This is a show where most of the plot points do not affect anybody. Yeah. Like you're watching them and it is so well crafted and it's great. You can look up at any time. It looks incredible. It's beautiful. And it is moving forward. But like no one is reacting to anything ever. And sometimes that really sucks to me. But they are reacting to stuff. They just aren't reacting in movie form. No, they're, they're reacting in like a crying like, oh, my God, how could you do this? I don't want that. I know. I know. I I, but I, they're also not. They're, to me, they're not reacting in, in movie form, but also they're not reacting in human form either. I, no, that's I not think how that, people. Okay, are. so let's get into spoilers because I have one specific yeah. example that I want to point to that shows off this movie has my favorite layers of acting, which isn't the kind of Oscar slash Emmy style of acting. It's very subtle under the surface. No, no, no. And it's kind of it's even acting that the other actors in the scene are playing like it doesn't work for them. Specifically, I want to talk about a moment between Anya Taylor Joy and uh dudley himself from the harry potter movies no so this that's totally fair and we're getting into spoilers now so we'll put the warning here well the the last thing i wanted to say though is that this show i am so so glad that it is not like other netflix shows that go for the 10 12 13 episode bloated as seasons Mm -hmm. i am so glad that they're going for a lean yeah. seven because well, people and are ep- clamoring for a season two right now and i hope to god they don't oh make no they it. are no going it's to make it it's a complete it's, it's story <laughs> like it ended yeah. it, you know i what are this, they gonna do i first so i will say at first i really wanted i was like damn i wish there was more episodes and the more i thought about it, i was like 
no, that was perfect. I don't want any more. I don't want this show to ever feel bloated. And, and there's nothing. It's so lean. Some of the episodes don't even have to be an hour. Yeah. Some of them are just around the 40, at 45 four is like, minute yeah, mark. Yeah, 45 so, minute. So that's another reason why it is so watchable. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't seen it, Netflix, I'm sure most people have seen it. It's been incredibly popular. So we're going to spoil it right now. is like the best part of the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, mm -hmm. this is the best I've seen of Anya Taylor-Joy and she was in The Witch and, but this is like- She gets to flex a lot. She, well, it's just like, this show is nothing if she's not good. Like it's, the show is her yes. and she is really good. And also it, it plays to her strengths because it's a lot of facial acting. And she has, eyes, a, she has a wild face. And she's also good at using it. It's not Freaky just like she was eyes. just gifted with it. Like, she's talented. Mm -hmm. She's a star. Like, she... I, she's, like, going to be an A-list. Yeah, this is the like movie that introduces the world at large to her. Because, like, what was the biggest thing she's done before? Split? split? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's a... You don't expect people from horror movies to end up being huge. You watch this and you're like, who the fuck um, is that? The like, New Mutants? Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's what people are going to see and be like, oh, yeah, it's the Queen's Gambit girl. She's a star now, you know, <laughs> like it's she's just she's big, big, big. Like she is going to be around. So we got to talk about um, these these boys. She's I, got several boys well, around her. Before we even get to that real quick shout to one Bill Camp, probably the greatest that guy in like movie and TV history where you just see him and you're like, oh, yeah. It's that guy. I always, I will always and forever think of him as God in the leftovers. Man, that's so <laughs> on <the> good. Boat. <laughs> I, I, so I was watching Birdman for the Oscar watch through. Uh, I started earlier today, and he's just in Birdman. There you just go. like in a little scene. He's also in Twelve Years Slave. Bill Cam. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mariel Heller, well, who I had no idea was an actress. Yeah, she owns. She's before, a great actress. Before we move away from Bill Camp, uh, in case I forget later i want to talk about a because now we're in spoilers uh a payoff at the very very end oh so of, good I, i'm pretty sure it's like the pretty much the end of the whole thing where she goes back to the orphanage and she goes into the basement where it all started and she sees the board of newspaper clippings Mm -hmm. that he'd been ke keeping over the years of all her chess championships victories. I'm I'm getting a little worked up just thinking about it right it's now. So cool. That was that it was one of the scenes so cool. where like the emotional payoff was so there. It was hit me great emotional so, payoff. So hard. Yeah. And that's just all like screenwriting and directing because there was never they never had a discussion after episode 1. And it's six hours later into this project, and then you finally have that emotional payoff. He loved her. Yeah. He he, he but, knew that she was an orphan, and he developed a certain fatherly connection to her that could have... I mean, it would have been too hokey for him to adopt her, but I would have loved that. But that's like, you know, that's not how life is. But then you get that payoff and it's like, oh, my God, it was all there mm -hmm. the whole time. So maybe the best way to talk about the cast is kind of going through the story itself, because there's kind of this revolving cast of characters that popped up in there. Yeah. But 
I really personally really loved the first episode. I really like the girl who plays uh, young Annie Taylor-Joy. She's obviously not as good as Annie Taylor-Joy, but I think that she's like pretty good child acting and mm-hmm. um, her friend, uh, uh, who was it, Jolene, um, who shows up in there and kind of like teaches her the ropes of the school and everything. Gets her addicted but, to drugs. Uh, well, she just teaches her how to take them. <laughs> it's different. Um, <laughs> she was always going to take them. But... That does kind of go into my thing about how I know she experienced a horrible thing. Her mom, like, killed herself with her in the well, car she and tried, tried to, to like, kill her, yeah, too. Yeah, murder-suicide. But, like, the show never lingers. on. Like, that trauma is not the reason why Anya Taylor-Joy is fucked up. At least I don't take it that way. I don't think that that is... I think that she was always kind of weird, and she was always kind of going to have this thing... And it's like, yeah, this is just like another trait that defines her, but it's not the defining trait about her where it's just like this person's messed up because X, Y, and Z happened to them while they're a child and stuff like that. And I like that that didn't happen. We didn't have her getting adopted and then like the dad who was there like abusing her or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, he just dipped. Like, I mean, shit, that happens. Like, it's nothing that's drastically more more traumatic than most people's I trauma. Do, I do like how that is played out throughout the, the season. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they kind of sprinkle it in and you get a little bit more of those flashbacks and Frank just shoots them so well like you you know you're in this sort of like dream like yeah good use of flashback in the show. It They look fantastic and you just are given just enough little by little as the story unfolds and you 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 know you get these little tiny payoffs like the blanket you know or it's not even a blanket it's like um like a knitted a hand knitted dress or something yeah. like that um it just all works it all works uh but back to Mariel Heller so once she actually gets adopted um uh, we start to develop this relationship with you know, this adoptive mother. And this is what I was trying to get at with like, and I guess you could apply this to the built camp character too, where you think the story is going to go in a darker direction because we've been conditioned to expect like, Oh, she's the abusive mother. She's going to take advantage of this genius daughter that she has. It's like, no, I mean, they have a pretty good relationship, pretty good working relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you were automatically assume it's going to be the worst. And then it's not, yeah, they both they're almost like co-workers. Like right. they're, yeah, they're like they're both getting things from each other. Drinking mm-hmm. buddies too. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yes. Like that's that's true. Like they have like co-workers is a good explanation. They're like very close. They're like your work buddy. Where it's just like that's kind of it as far as they go. They have like kind of a love for each other, but mm-hmm. it's not a traditional father daughter. Well, it's love. a partnership. You it know, never they, they'd really be completely is completely alone if it wasn't for the other. Exactly. It's never one of them isn't at least in their own minds, one of them is never taking advantage of the no, other. No, because it's a transaction. Like Anya Taylor Joy wouldn't be able to skip school and travel without her mom, and her mom wouldn't have any money <laughs> at a certain yeah, point without exactly. Anya Taylor Joy. It's, um yeah it's it's very uh like normal like transactional relationship i guess so harry melling as harry beltic yeah um, dudley from the harry potter movies or um, the limbless man the limbless man in from uh, <laughs> ballad of buster scruggs yeah. this this man i think is the um 
the second best performance in the whole show. He's Anya. he's so really crazy. good. And I you love don't, him. You don't think he is at first because it's a very minimal introduction. Yeah, he's just like a bit of an ass. Uh, yeah, he's like really good at chess, and it's really not, fucked up teeth. And it's not till he comes back into the the narrative later on that you realize like a how great of a performance it is, and b how integral this person is in beth's life yeah because beth is like extremely like you know kind of careless with her decision making and Mm -hmm. how she takes care of herself and harry seems to be like a very well put together person yeah and he's just very normal yeah he he makes her realize or at least attempts to make her realize that she is driving off a fucking cliff (laughs) with her pills and her drinking and her behavior and it's a good presence in her life and in the story he's he's also like the most genuine person in the entire show like Mm -hmm. he is just he really cares for beth Mm -hmm. and also like just being around beth he's just like i realize like i cannot play chess anymore like i realize like i don't i'm not insane yeah like you have to be insane (laughs) to do anything like any kind of sport or anything like that you have to be a little bit crazy especially something like that that's revive that requires so much mental strength you have to be a little bit like off the rocker and i like i like this dynamic here because to your to your point drew about how like the lack of drama a little bit like there's a stretch in this show where it's just like she's good at chess and that's it like every (laughs) scene is just she's really good at chess and you inject this character and you start to complicate things a little bit yeah because he challenges her emotional capacity exactly yeah and you start to see how it's not just that she's good at chess is that she's sacrificing a normal life yeah <laughs> and, and a well, normal she's, existence and she's also like i she kind of never was capable of being fully normal so it's good that she has chess because she doesn't you know she doesn't process things like an average person especially if so, she's bulldozing every competitor yes. you know there's no there's no dramatic tension because you know she's gonna win this is what i was talking about about the acting just being like utter perfection in my opinion of this show it all comes it distills down to the scene in which uh harry moves in with beth um and then he kind of realizes like the same for she me <laughs> will never love me like the same way that she loves chess i will mm-hmm. never be number one in her mind and he has a true acting moment and anya taylor joy like a true like a classic acting moment like that you just like raise your hands it's capital a acting yeah and anya taylor joy on the other hand gives just this it's all in her face that she just shows like kind of this blankness like she does not know how to handle this so she just kind of shuts down emotionally all Mm. of that is portrayed just in her eyes and just in her like facial and her cheek movements and that is a kind of acting that like you cannot teach that's yeah. just kind of an acting that's just inherent and that is my favorite type of acting that She's isn't really anything good. that's you see this kind of dynamic and it's all re- it's really all over the place it's funny how it gets flipped on her uh whenever we get to another character in the story 
about how she finally feels Benny? an emotional connection and uh, are we ready not. to talk about Benny? Um, <laughs> but uh, we're about to get to that knife that we never get an explanation for. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's he do with that knife, man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> protection. That's, um, no, I I watched this with my girlfriend Anna, and I asked her today, like, is there anything you want me to bring up about Queen's Gambit? And she was like, bring up the knife. <laughs> That's, well, it's not just the knife; it's the hat and the coat. Oh, it's just it's everything about yeah, and how dude. he weighs like two pounds and he's not intimidating anymore. Thomas Brody Sangster, my he, well, god, he's, he's the he guy was, from um the um Maze Runner. Yeah, Maze no, Runner before movies. that though, when he was a little kid, he was in that rom com, the cla- Love Love Actually. Uh, that's him. He's in Love Actually. Fuck. Yeah, he's the little kid. I know. He was also in a. Game he was in Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, he was Jojen. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, so he's like an actor, but he. It's just so funny watching him because it, it does make sense logically because he, like the chess this is a very insular move like uh show wherein like the chess world is a big deal but only to these people like yes. it's not a well, big, but then when you go to russia you yeah. start to well because in, like, well, in russia what? chess was a huge deal it just never was in america okay. that's actually it, true well it gotcha. kind of was chess had a big boom it was a little bit later than that but i mean whenever you get into like the 70s and stuff like that like there's um uh, uh, there was a run. Chess a had a really run. big. Uh, what like run. Bobby Fisher? Yeah, the Bobby Fisher yeah, he, run. He mattered. Like Bobby Fisher was the is the youngest chess master in history. The youngest grandmaster in history. He was a grandmaster when he was fifteen. Yeah, well, that's kind of and what he was she... an American, and he beat a bunch of Russians. It was a fucking huge yeah, deal. Because in, in Russia, yeah, chess is a bigger deal. Like it, and it yeah. was back then for sure. And I mean, when they're in that final uh, match with uh, uh, Borgov, and yeah. they have like the giant board that they're following and everybody's following along with their own boards. Yeah. I was like, what reality are we in right now? It's a very, yeah, it's a very uh, specialized world. But then there's also like the scene where uh, Beth is uh, with Benny at like a qualifier. And he's like, why isn't, you know, like if we played anything else, like there would be news here and like people would give a fuck, but we're at some middle school auditorium right now. Right. Because it just really didn't matter yeah. that much. Yeah. Um, and she is effectively, Beth is effectively being Bobby Fisher in this show. Yes. But just like she's, yeah. ex- except like, what if Bobby Fisher was like very attractive, intelligentic, you know, and like, yeah. Like, so even that though, would take actually make her a bigger deal than she's portrayed in this show. That was, she would be like the biggest deal. Exactly. Even, even though everything we see in this show is fictional, it is based on reality well yeah yes. you you, you learn yeah the the whole idea of her like going insane because she she might end up seeing patterns that no one else that's sees fisher. in a bad way that's bobby fisher yeah yeah there's well, also crazy there's also comments on i mean there's comments also towards they actually do it like uh reference some actual famous uh chess players i can't remember what his name was but the chess player they referenced who was like a genius grandmaster and then kind of went off his rocker and got yeah. addicted to drugs and stuff like that's a real guy yeah, they reference you're that's... all insane um another thing that i really i just kind of it made me laugh a little tidbit about the show is whenever she has like their interview for time magazine or life magazine whoever it life. is and they always and they're just like she's such like an empowering woman and everything else and she's a representative of womanhood and she's like why don't they talk about how I'm a good chess player? <laughs> and that like made me think about just like everything uh, in pop culture for the last few years. It's just like, oh, this person is like a great woman and not like talking about the specific yeah, craft the that person. they're in. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like you're good for the woman, the sisterhood, but not for 
specifically what it is that you are doing, mm-hmm. which is just so insulting. Benny, <laughs> we need to talk about speed chess. Okay, so a couple things with the speed chess. Um, Hunter, you're a resident uh, gambler. How much money are they losing? on speech as they keep handing do you each want other adjust, adjusted for inflation or what so um. so what we can do both just eyeballing it in 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 1960s dollars how much money do you think they were betting and losing so wait give me a year what do we do we think at this point it's like 1960 we do we just want to use no that? the speed um, chest takes place in the mid 60s i'm pretty sure because she was already mid older 60s yeah, we get the she, big. She she's in yes. the thing. No, it like, is. We it's get the, the big okay. year, the year uh, time. Yeah, cards. it's in the sixties. All right, so hold on. I'm vamp for me for a second. I'm looking for a 1964 dollar. It's a lot of money. They're, they're rich. Um, I mean, it's just, definitely like she definitely bets at least like a hundred or yeah. so. She's there for like an hour and or two. Losing all that money actually makes her nut. It makes her <laughs> horny as hell. Yeah. A hundred dollars in nineteen sixty-four is uh uh approximately equivalent to about eight hundred and thirty-nine dollars. So we're talking about she loses at least Christ. like a grand worth. But later like, on later on she makes it. it back though. There's the second speed chest scene. Yeah, right. She, yeah, she also like she's wealthier than him. She's more successful I, than him at that point. I really love this dude. I know that uh um uh, God, what's the other? Uh, Harry Melling also gets a ton of praise, but like Thomas Brody Sangster is just so good in this show of just being like such like a TV or such a movie character. Well, like, he's charismatic as hell. He's charismatic, but also he's so weird. He and he's yeah. able to ride that line that's such a difficult line to ride where like he is a loser. By all accounts, like he is a Dude, loser, but he's the coolest loser. What is ever. up with that apartment? He lives like three stories underground in New York City. Yeah. If you see his apartment, you're like, yeah, the knife makes sense. Or I mean, or he just loses all his money betting. He's like a gambling addict. It's um, yeah, he he's an interesting character, interesting actor. I think you're right that he was a good choice because he also does look like in about a year he won't be charismatic anymore. Yeah, well, like he he is right on the edge of not being able to be shot with a camera, like because he is so aggressively skinny and his face is so youthful that once he hits an age it will no longer be palatable to yeah. see. I, I could see him making like a Caleb Landry Jones type turn. Of just something <laughs> oh, where that, he, if he's just that is... good of an actor, then it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like that guy's way looking he is. So the third romantic interest is interesting to me. It, the actor's name is Jacob Fortune Lloyd. He looks like a theater kid version of Oscar Isaac. Yes. Um, He plays a guy named D.L. Towns. Towns. This character to me more than anything in the whole show strikes me as something that got lost in translation when they were trying to make it into a show as opposed to a movie because the the show treats him like he is actually the most important of all the love interests but you barely see him. we don't see him at yeah. all we get three scenes with him I want to, like yeah. four scenes 
with him. When she's talking to the French lady and she mentions his name as like the lost love, I was like, huh? Yeah, like we saw him once ever and that he guy? just like he gave her a period. <laughs> no, well, there, there's I think that he has easily the most charisma of well, any yeah, of guys. Well, yeah, of course. He's very good looking. That's why yeah. he's very good looking. And then there's also that there's that moment when they're in the yeah. hotel room together. Well, it's just like yeah, you can tell like, like they have was... moments. It's just like this was definitely something that was lost in like uh, allocating screen time with when you have like seven hours versus having like an hour and a half. The only thing I for sure, I, I feel like it just needed one more scene. I don't need like a lot more yeah. of him. Well, I, I think that like, honestly, if you put him in like maybe episode late episode five, episode six, just because I feel like he's in like episode three or four and then he doesn't show up until the last. Yeah, episode. he shows like, up have, fleetingly. Yeah. Have one more scene he, of he him, like more... showing up at another one of Beth's events. And then frankly, uh, Beltic needs less than that than he gets because uh, he seems more important. Yeah, because, yeah, Towns, Towns gets the first say and the last say in the whole show on on Beth. Like he his interactions clearly mean the most to her, but he doesn't mean the most to us. So that is to me very lost in translation. He gets the last like glimpse at her and like he gives her the approval and his approval means more to her than anyone else's. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the audience is kind of like this guy? Like we barely yeah. saw him. Like we barely saw him. Do you really want her to get with Harry Beltic though? No, of course. That's what I'm saying. Got like, his well, fucking teeth oh, they're fixed never, they're never gonna be together. Hold on, they, he's ugly as fuck. They would have actually made a really good couple, but it was never going to work because she's fucking insane. Yeah, and the well, in this show it can't be about her relying on anybody. The show is explicitly about her not needing to to partner up. It's the scenes, the scenes when they're like doing the house thing mm -hmm. and they're living together those are nice scenes i could see it no totally but that like it's not about her like needing to settle down in order to become a sane woman right it's about her like you know like having friends who help her but relying on herself to win honestly i don't think that uh her and towns work out no if totally, i'm gonna guess the feature yeah, of no this way. movie He's like gay i <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I think he's bi. I think he's definitely bi. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, dude, we'll that dude who's in his who also shows up as a room is like, I'll leave you two to it. That guy is the worst actor in the show. No idea Him, who the fuck okay, that guy so is. He, yeah, he's bad. I think the twins are really bad. What? I those like guys them. are I mean, mumbling through all their lives. Matthew Dennis Lewis, like they are, like they 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 look awful and They're russell dennis lewis They're bit players they're not tell yeah i know well by the end like because you know them i was just happy to see them then that last episode i was like oh the twins are yeah. there hell yeah they're all high five so, like, they're bad at acting you know who they reminded me of and maybe it's because i just saw because of seeing uh uh harry melling who's dudley in the harry potter movies they just remind me of just the fucking twins in harry potter that's what i was just oh, seeing they, whenever they i saw wish. Those two these men are bad <laughs> these men are ugly and bad um, they're they're like a fun presence. Look at Matthew Dennis' uh, um, IMDb thing. He's trying oh, to look like a sexy on. hunk. This guy's trying to be Jeremy uh, Renner. Yeah, he is not. It really is coming on the Jeremy Renner. So ultimately, though, that's like the main thing that this show flips on its head because it is a convention breaking show. Is uh, all of these guys who are initially shitty to her, including the twins, um, including uh, all the Lemonsters except for DL Towns. They they are assy at first, and then they end up helping her and liking her. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what this show is flipping. It's it's a triumph. Yeah, it's not about 
it's not about feminism being in the wake of shitty men trying to fuck her over all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just about her being independent, but also like being helped by good people. And it's about just you can be nice. Yeah. That's we don't have enough shows about like, hey, people could just be nice. And well, it's a show about I mean, even more than being nice, it's a show about respect. Like these people, like they just they, they have kind of like this whole like rivalry with her at first. They're like, Haha, we're going to take down this girl and everything. And they see her ability and they're like, oh, no, like shit. We respect your game. Like we admire you. We can appreciate yeah. everything that you are doing, which yeah. that is something that this show just really nails. And it I, even it even comes down to fucking Borgov. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Like even him at the end is just like like because he's a Russian stoic. In no world is a Russian stoic in real life going to be nice to someone who beats them at anything. But at the end of the show, he's like, "It's your game. Take it." Even more than that, uh, what's the name of the uh, the guy who plays the other Russian dude, who's like the Russian legend guy, who's just like so nice? Like, I want that. To oh, just the be like curly, my curly Russian hair? father. Yes, he's. Like, I, I played the best game of my life. Yeah, I great. love that guy. I have no idea who he is. I'll probably never see him again in anything. Yeah. But I really love. But that I'll, guy. and also speaking toward how this whole thing is has to be just about anya like the guy who plays borgov is tied for the third most amount of episodes of anyone in the whole show and he doesn't even talk until the last episode but like no one is is showing up all the time except for her but you just about her you are right though that like I think that they do because yeah, on IMDb is less than that he's in five episodes. I think that's really smart. They don't have him talking to the last episode because maybe they should have treated um Towns, who eventually becomes the love interest, more like Borgov, where it's just this ever looming presence. Borgov, you hear from like episode two. You at least you know that name. You're waiting for the her match up. with this guy. Yeah. That's like incredible writing of just like laying the seeds and then just kind of keep putting a little bit of water on it, a little bit of water, a little bit of water on it, and then just kind of building that up until we get to that big climactic Mm. moment. Also, oh, this reminds me of another thing that I love is that, so the show starts with adult Anya Taylor-Joy dumping water on her face, getting ready for a match. That isn't before the last episode. It's before like episode five Mm -hmm. or six. It isn't before her big climactic match. I really love that. That's like kind of turning a sports movie thing because that's a huge sports movie thing is that we just hear like the crowd is screaming like Eagles, Eagles. Mm-hmm. And like it's like about to see Mark Wahlberg walk out into the field and then we're like, let's see how this kid got here now. Freeze. You're probably wondering yeah. how I got here. Yeah, it's walk hard. And it, it doesn't get to that. It doesn't start at, or it doesn't end at that point. There's like more story to be told. Yeah, from there. because that match is a failure. Yes, like she loses that one or whatever because because she's you know hung over and blah blah blah. Um, yeah, no, that that's lovely. Um, it's, I I think that because you called it you know a sports movie and it is very you know it is very comparable in terms of like you know foregoing emotional impact for mechanical impact um i think the one it reminds me the most of is moneyball right Mm, because that is another that's a movie that is very subdued and it's good in every single respect like there's literally nothing that's going wrong with moneyball it's just almost intentionally not super impactful because it's watchable so there's a couple other things that are kind of lingering that i want to bring up um 
we should talk about the death of the mom. Um, this is again another thing that I think is to chalk it up to your point, Drew, again, about like how we needed more drama and how in a different type of show, this would be a bigger bomb that drops into the show. But the way they handle it in this show, I think works. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that although I would have liked it to be a little bit more sort of like a catharsis, you understand that like in the in the context of Beth's life, this is not that cataclysmic. Yeah, it's kind of inconsequential. Yeah. Like I mean it it she is cares, but like it's, yeah. I mean, going back to the whole like coworker dynamic, it's like losing a coworker who you're very good friends with. You're very upset, but it's not the same as losing a mother. I, I she will... lost her mom already. She right. lost her years ago, and she's still dealing with it and thinking about it. Yes, that still is weighing heavier on her mind than losing Marielle Heller. And the thing that I that I think is is super effective is what happens with the the adoptive father. Um, Who sucks. The, the scene where he comes back with the lawyer to try to take yeah, back the house. Yeah, he's just like, you know, you know, I, I didn't want you. I I love how like beta of a dude that guy oh, is. Oh yeah, it's... can't even look at her. But and it's it's very standard like filmmaking one hundred and one in that scene where the camera starts. Dude, to... I wrote that down, Ernest. I'm yeah, not joking. How like it's the, so the, standard? Yeah, the angles are literally like what you learn in your first film class. It's it's superior and inferior. Yeah, angles. it's very very straightforward and like i said that makes it so you can look up at any second and understand the power dynamic of any situation in this show it's super obvious it's super telegraphed but like it just works it just works shout out to patrick kennedy who plays uh alston wheatley the little fuck boy (laughs) every time i see that guy now i'm just gonna be like oh this little fuck boy (laughs) like couldn't even stand up to his adopted daughter the uh the other thing i wrote down is um just going back to jolene um the only like major person of color uh in Mm. the show i think pretty pretty good decision to make the best friend um sort of you know the the archetypal kind of black best friend and 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 run with it you know Mm -hmm. this is a trope at this point um the the black best friend it's kind of like one of the tropiest things about the show because the the show foregoes a lot of tropes the magical the magical black woman trope you know to to (laughs) come shows up with money at the very end yeah i i think that it's it is a choice to do that and run with it um and I think that in the end, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think that you end up with somewhat of a statement about because there is a line when they're talking in the car where Jolene basically tells her, like, I hope you understand that you I, I'm heavily paraphrasing, but that the rest of us aren't like you right just winning all the time yes yes and i think I that that is pretty astute because obviously beth and anya are extremely white and you're you're in a dynamic here where you have the the only black character in the story telling the main character i hope you understand the the ease which with you keep winning and it, it sort of flips the perspective for just a second to let you know, like, Hey, maybe, maybe just maybe the reason why Beth is doing so well 
and sort of coasting is maybe due to her the color of her skin. Well, especially I mean, that's kind of a thing that is just going it's like a fact that's just going to happen with any period piece because if you made that there was some great black grandmaster at this time that would just be completely a falsehood because we're in the civil rights movement if we're doing a period a proper period piece for this time so like that just can't factually happen but I do like that the show I I know the exact scene that you're talking about and I do like that the show that Scott Frank at least took that time to yeah. make that kind of observation because well, a lot of lesser yeah. shows wouldn't have even tried to do they that. They wouldn't bother. It's a know. lot like First Man how it has that one scene yeah. the whitey's on the moon scene <laughs> yes. where it's like hey by the way this pales in comparison to what most people are going through. But, but that's also, not a character. This no, is I know. A character but it's like it's just it's an acknowledgement like hey by the way like we, you got to you got to think about how things yeah. yeah that is kind of an, i don't really i feel like you almost have to have that kind of a moment in a period piece because it's like well if we're trying to make a factual story we like realistically can't it sucks but that's kind of just the facts um, of the time but yeah i think that we kind of glossed over a little bit but i want to go back to how fucking beautiful this show is it looks gorgeous i think that this might the, be like the, the best looking design, show the costumes that i've seen this year the dresses is so everything in mexico city whenever they go there like there's that one really long one or take that happens when they enter into the hotel and it just kind of Phenomenal. spins around as it's scaling it's subtle. up it's it's not showy it's really not showy at all but it's so well done and there's so many of those shots in this show that are just so perfectly crafted that just set you in a time even going back to like episode two or three whenever they first go into that mall shopping center area and it's just like we are in the 50s 60s like that is the time period and you get everything out of this one shot i uh i just remembered something i was thinking a lot about while watching this is comparing it to the marvelous mrs Maisel. oh there's yeah. a lot of similarities mm -hmm. you know the Same sort of sort of like um uh hyper uh successful just really good at what she does female protagonist um and the 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 two shows there's there's a lot of overlap but i i feel like mrs mazel chooses to uh revel in its showiness right yeah mazel is much more well mazel is also a comedy yeah where this show is not like mazel is able to because of the genre it's in have more fun with itself where the show is it's just kind of it's never it's never chauvinistic in any kind of a way. It's just kind of there to present you in the time. And it does really it works more as a setting, but it's also like the most gorgeous setting that's yeah. like shown. I watched this show because I have uh, Netflix with 4K Oof. and I watched this on 4K and it's just played with Dolby Vision. So with my surround sound and that like this was one of the best, like closest to theatrical experiences I had this year, just like being in this space. Also, shout out to that one like montage that goes with the split screens that kind of line up with the squares of the chessboard. Oh, yeah. And it's like set to the beat of the I music. I mean, even when you talk about her oh. costumes, like the black and white costume that she has, that almost just looks like a chessboard like that she's just wearing. There's so many like little tidbits of that throughout this show. They're just like pitch perfect. Love it. Love it. All right. Any final thoughts before we move on to pen 15 um great show 
Mm-hmm. Just want to say, I, I like that the show kind of had a very traditional ending. I like mm-hmm. that it kind of, it had the sports movie ending. And it's a it's, it's a big hit. People love it. It's a happy ending. And like, that's kind of what I wanted from this show. Like this show was everything that I wanted it to be. And I think that's why that this show like meant so much to me is just because like, I kept thinking while I was watching this, I was like, maybe it's because my brain is broken from watching so many, especially modern movies and TV shows where they're like, we have to do the zag. We have to go dark. We have Mm. to explore this thing or this thing that my brain's just like, ah, yeah, it's going to turn out that like this is involved, isn't it? And stuff. And I was just kind of happy that I could just kind of have like a moment where it's like, yeah, she ended up with a guy. She beat Borgov like, we're she's, having a good moment. She's just an old man in the park now playing chess. I love the final scene because I think that one of my favorite things about the final scene, I, I'm glad that you actually brought that up because through like from where the show starts, this is just like a game. It's like fun for her to play. She just like really is fascinated by this. This is her favorite game. At a certain point, the reason why, yeah. And the reason why she falls back into this addiction is because it becomes more than a job. It becomes like an obligation that she has to do this thing. And the fact that we kind of end where we begin, where it's just like, let's play is the final line. Like, let's just go back to the play and the gamification of all of this it's poetic. Like I really, really love the way that the show is framed. As soon as I finished this, I watched the um, the Pixar short with the old man playing himself. Oh hell yeah! Playing chess Classic. with himself. Classic. It's it's a yeah. I, I mean, I love the, the way that the it wrapped up. Um, it, it satisfied me a lot. Um, but yeah, my my general thought is, uh, I think I think more so than the Martian, I think Moneyball is a great comparison because it's it's very good in every single way. And uh, in my opinion, that's what stops it from being great because it's designed to be watched. Yeah. Not, For the masses too. Yeah. It's, it's designed to be watched by everyone and liked by everyone. And it is like, it did that. Um, it, and, and how rare is it to get something like well, that? Well, yeah, that's the thing is it's, it's filling a need that like, isn't done. It's just, it didn't leave an impact on me. Like I'm not thinking about something that it brought up, like some concept or whatever, because that's not what it was trying to do. Uh, and you're right that there's so much great, like smaller acting in this. Like there's, there are so many great, more subtle moments of acting. Um, but at a certain point, if you don't counterbalance that with like acting, acting, you're denying what humans are mm-hmm. because she is not like that, but she's not the only character in this and no one is acting like that. Everyone is being small. And that's just, at a certain point, that's not reflecting a real humanity. And if you're going to go mumblecore like that, and if you're going to go small, you might want to fill it in with something either in like funny or bizarro, like almost like the lobster where they're all going small because of like a tonal, like strange move, you know, especially when you're dragging it out over multiple episodes. Yeah. That's the thing. Cause I, like I said, I love how it ended, but there's, there are chunks of this where I was watching it thinking, Oh, this is designed to not necessarily be watched. Like if you watch, there's enough to watch, but also it's designed so that you don't have to. But to to me, that's why the ending hits so much because you're being deprived of that for multiple episodes. And then you get to the ending. And then when she starts crying in the car after she sees the Bill Camp wall of mm. memorabilia, it it's all there. Yeah, it's it's like it's like later Spielberg because 
early Spielberg, what made that him great is he was he was portraying things that hadn't been portrayed before, like like the the spectacle of Jurassic Park or whatever. But he also is the master of keeping everyone on board, which Scott Frank does so much because his direction in this shit is so good. Um, but later Spielberg, like Catch Me If You Can, for example, doesn't reach that height for me because uh, he's keeping everyone on board and also nothing is being portrayed that hasn't been seen before. And so you're left with something that's very good. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just kind of personal difference. Like for me, like I did get enough emotion out of this show. Like I got what I wanted out of this show, like emotionally. Like I think that there are still, there is still enough there, especially when you just kind of look at Beth and her character relationships with the different men who she encounters in the life, of course, with uh, Harry. And we talked, we referenced it before spoilers, but I love the way that that's flipped whenever she sleeps with Benny. And Benny's just like, you need to do this on your next move. He's going to mm-hmm. go here and you have to do this. And she's just like, oh, so do you have anything to say about the sex that we just had? Like no. that his mind is, he also has like a broken brain. They're like the her. same. That's it's kind of funny that they didn't end up together because they're kind of made for each other. Both yeah. of them are like broken human beings. But I just I this show was like everything that I wanted it to be. And I think that's why like this show is just one of my favorite things that I've seen this year is just because it's everything that I wanted it to be. It gave me just the, mo- the just enough emotional payoff mixed with the set design and production design and the direction and the writing. It's just it's kind of perfect. Look, Netflix. You gave us the good chess show. Keep it coming. Give us Yahtzee. Give us the best Monopoly player TV show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give us you're, Clue. You're trying to get in because when you were a senior in high school, you made a short film that was about the best solitaire player <laughs> in the that's world. That's what you're leading I, up to. That's, <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's what we're looking for. It's my audition reel. Yeah, that's ex- this is where you're going with this. You'll be like... It's the Queen's Gambit meets Solitaire. Yeah. <laughs> this is I my already, I already got... <laughs> I fucking got it. The year ass. is 2085. Solitaire okay. has taken over the nation um, as Parcheesi we are running out of water. Shoots and ladders. I want to talk about Pen15, please. Okay, this is... Let's take, let's take a quick break, okay, okay. and then we'll jump into Pen15. in pen 15 on hulu full spoilers yeah. so if you haven't seen pen 15 go watch it it's only seven episodes season two season one is what 10 episodes they're all very short half an hour so you can burn through them very watchable very enjoyable uh lots of fun time so if you haven't seen the show please yeah. go see it and uh i, I want to say something really upfront. so this this week's catch-up episode we're uh, answering Brian's questions about like our individual Pantheon shows. This show is like on its way to being Pantheon for me. Um, it's one of my favorite shows ever. It's pretty fantastic. Like mm-hmm. it's two for two seasons wise. The the tone it strikes, the specificity mixed with how broad it can reach. This is one of the best shows I've ever seen. I love it so much. The specificity, I think, is the key. Yeah. Because I think that what the show is trying to do is to try to capture a very particular time, mm-hmm. this early 2000s, late 90s era. And obviously, 
it does speak on like themes that are universal that apply to anybody at any time but through the lens of these characters and these writers performers this is what they're trying to communicate is this era yeah and i think that beyond the 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 era i think what the show ultimately does and what makes it so genius is that it takes this time in our lives regardless of whether it takes place in the 90s or the 2000s this middle school time and it basically says that we never really change beyond that time mm-hmm. that everything that happens after that in our lives is dictated by who we are in middle school exactly and it's it's very like outside because it does have the specificity of that time period but really more than that it's about the specificity of what it feels like to be a weird kid Mm -hmm. um because i was like that more more so in like elementary school i was i was like the maya type who was just like way in another world like just strange yeah, you have told me about it. you used to put hair in other girls' lockers and <laughs> no, stuff like that. The, no, <laughs> it's just the feeling of being fully unable to connect with uh, with your peers because a lot, so much content that is about childhood nostalgia is about rebelling against authority figures, against adults and parents. And there's plenty of that in this. And it's like again, it's very rooted in reality. But this is a show in which everyone, like our leads have no clue how they're coming off to other people that there are their own age. They're so fucking weird. So another thing that this show gets really right, aside from just like how weird people work is, I mean, another thing we talked about in catch up was the breakfast club and the whole John Hughes idea of like, just like, if you're a loser, you just get stuffed in a locker. Like that's not realistic. That's not actually what school is like. This is much more true to what it is, where instead of, like, there just being blatant bullying happening, it's just everybody is in kind of their own clique, and within each clique, there's a hierarchy. And that's one thing that uh, me and girlfriend of the pod, Gaia, talked about a lot with the show that it gets right. Like, whenever you think about the Sam character, he's the coolest loser. Yeah, like so, he is. So he, and when you're at the top of that hierarchy of whatever click you're in, you can kind of flirt with you, like the next yeah, tier up. He, yeah, that is that's another thing that was like, that's something I experienced in middle school. It's like you have to make a choice. Like, who am I? Who am I going to be around? I have an option. Uh, It's yeah, it gets that so right. It gets everything about kid logic so right it's like excruciating how right it is yeah it's you have to look away it yeah it's like uh it has the same thing as freaks and geeks where like famously their writer's room was more just their writers telling each other real stories Mm. that's what this feels like where the specificity of it they get like the how the ebbs and flows of conversations you have when you're a kid are so untethered to reality <laughs> there. And like the, the way that power plays, like you said with Sam or just like in the moment, like how, like you sort of just go along with whoever seems the most right. It's not really about what you think or what is right. It's just about like, you just so badly want to be accepted. That's all you want. And it's, it's like almost scary how good they are at tapping into their childhood selves for this. Like it is. Yeah, you buy it. You're you're in it. These are thirty year old women playing 
13 year olds mm-hmm. and you're on board the entire time yeah. and we've already like with season one we talked about how like th- this premise doesn't work unless they are playing it totally straight and they are it's not and it's not that they're playing it totally straight because there's plenty of like heightened comedic moments and like moments that are just way out there like stylistically but they these two characters are always 100 dialed in like they fully believe themselves there's not a moment where like maya or anna will kind of wink and be like uh, like i know that i'm not really this no they it never have, gets meta they have to think that they are this or else we won't because we already shouldn't think that they are that that's the thing is that even more than season one like season two i forgot that they were 30 year olds for like large chunks yeah. of this show you fo- like you yeah, were just you fully lost. engrossed in what the story is that they are telling because yeah, like i literally the last the last shot of the the season finale i was like wait a minute yeah they're old <laughs> like when they're driving away in the yeah, car yeah because like oh, anna, anna conkle is talking to her dad and I, I her dad is talking about like you know oh you're gonna think about who you have to live and i was like looking at this man playing her dad and i was like this man is talking to a 30 year old woman and he has to buy in. He has yeah. to play it natural that. Well, that's the other triumph is the supporting. I actors. mean, it's more than a triumph. It's like an, it's like an all time incredible thing that I've ever seen portrayed yeah. because it's mostly kids mm-hmm. and these kids it's, there's almost like a meta commentary going on in season two with the play, the school play, because this theater director is trying to coach naturality out on he's trying to coach okay. real acting so this guy <laughs> we'll we'll get to him because that's like episode six where he comes Man. in the it's very interesting but like, i i screamed no i know <laughs> but it's it's this meta commentary because the same guy directs most of these episodes yeah, sam zvilbeman yep um he directs 11 of the show's uh what like 17 episodes every episode of season two and the way that they are able to coach natural acting out of these kids because like even with good actors who are kids they're basing their performances off of what they've seen other kids act like in tv and movies but that's not what these kids are doing at all these kids they're getting these kids to act like they would just act and that is so hard man like that it's you know it's a triumph for the kids individually because there are some kids who like are just blowing my mind but like as a whole that that's a sign of good leadership to me for the show like someone is getting each and every one of these players to to play it down to earth and Mm -hmm. that is hard as shit man so should we do what we did with queen's gambit and go by uh characters actors or should we try to go by episode because we could start just it's only seven episodes, so we could just yeah. run each one real quick. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of go through and that kind of highlights each of the individual uh, characters. I mean, of course, the first one's the pool one, party. The pool party is kind of it works more of like a reestablishing of where our characters are. Yeah, uh, in and a the sequel story. to the finale with the dance of season one, and kind of focusing in on that point about how like kids can uh often like when they're just trying to be like well like i'm not trying to start drama like I, i'm just trying to ask because like i'm not trying to start any kind of drama are actually the ones who are starting all of the fucking drama mm-hmm. it's one thing like 
this scene almost more than anything else felt very specific to me that happened directly to one of them where they were going yeah. around trying to like fish for information and well, we've all been to a pool party like this yes like a middle school very awkward party. heavy eighth grade vibes here yes. mm-hmm. bo burnham's eighth grade just the awkwardness yeah. of the the middle school yeah. pool party it almost the show to me kind of strikes a like a flawless balance in between eighth grade, which is like so unflinchingly real always and like almost never heightened in any way. Yeah. And Napoleon Dynamite, mm-hmm. which is heightened plenty at times uh, and doesn't the character of Napoleon doesn't have much internality to him. It's all implied, but you don't really see how he's feeling about things. Yeah. You just see how he's acting. It's right in between that because Maya in particular is giving a, a performance that is on par to me with Napoleon Dynamite in terms of like just unflinchingly like going all out to be a weirdo because that's what weird kids are like. They're never going halfway. They're always weird as fuck. And it doesn't when it leans to one direction, it doesn't lose the other one. Right. No. Like when when it leans into the wackiness, you can still get the tragedy. Exactly. That's what makes this show one of the best shows I've ever really seen, because also I just like. I always gravitate toward this subject matter, obviously. Like, like eighth grade and Point Dynamite are two of my favorite movies ever. Probably both in my top ten. Um, but this show is it manages to still be elastic, even though yeah, it sh- you know, you would think that it would have to be pretty rigid to work because it's already so crazy what they're trying to do. But they're the our two leads, like their level of maturity varies by episode depending on what they're trying to portray, because this generally is just a show about being a weird kid. It's not just about being in middle school. So certain episodes, they their level of like vocabulary and maturity and everything is like elementary school. It's like the episode where they're witches. That is little kid yeah. stuff. But then other episodes, like the theater episode, they it's like high schoolers. Like the, you know, the level of like nuance with like how they're being like passive aggressive with one another. They're not just being like insanely strange. <laughs> like it changes at the at 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 the drop of a pin. Is that a, a, a phrase? Yeah. Sure. It, but it's it's never sacrificing anything. No, like, that's like, the thing. It's, it's like, it's, how are they doing this shit, man? It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's one of the most insane yeah. balancing acts I've it's, ever it's seen. It's fucking nuts. And I think a big part of it is that it's always artfully directed. It's always very, very artful and thoughtful how things are shot. Um, because it also like takes big swings in terms of like uh like like straying from reality. Um, for example. Uh, this show, I think, does a really good job of something that, that I've never really seen addressed ever, which is like it portrays how like early sexual experiences are psychedelic experiences <laughs> yeah. because and I'm speaking like chemically, they actually are because yeah. there's nothing else that floods your brain with chemicals. In, and it's in this weird like I've never felt this before way like beyond that in real life you only get that again once you take psychedelics for the first right. time of just like like it's like like you're seeing fucking fractals yeah like almost. endorphins yeah because you're just yeah, rushing to another exactly level. you you you're being inundated with all these weird new chemicals um i've just never seen that portrayed visually so well yeah you know it's, without like being like some kind of an almost trippy se- directed sequence yeah the, well i immediately just think of the kiss with uh gabe yes the close-ups of those lips the most awkward kiss <laughs> ever yeah but also the, the uh 
the scene earlier in the season with Gabe, the the sleepover where he's hanging out with Sam and he has this weird orgasm. Oh, that's right. Which is portrayed very psychedelically, even though there's obviously no drugs being taken. But that's what it feels yeah. like when you're figuring out yourself sexually. Very curious, Gabe. Yeah. Oh, oh so tragic. Who this? I mean, this little kid is just a fucking actor, he's man. Phenomenal. I love, I love him to death. His he's, name is I, Dylan Gage. He's. It's one of the most sympathetic performances I've ever seen from a kid. Where you just you just want him to tell this kid everything's gonna be okay you know yeah dylan gage and taj cross are like my two like i'm buying all the stock in these kids like these as long as they don't age horribly like they have acting shots yeah like they are going to go places it's weird with dylan gage because he already looks like a 40 year old so (laughs) and sometimes that goes against you when you grow up poor guy you know where like you end up looking younger as you age like um hayley joel osmond did but Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, they they both rock so hard. It's it's also just such an, a well written portrayal of a kid who is very slowly going to be discovering that he's gay. Um, it, it's it's sensitively handled, um, but also has like a broad comedic aspect to it. Yeah, they're they're towing so many lines in this that I'm constantly shocked that I am always on board. And it's only it's, you know, I mean, we gotta we gotta fold in season one in here because so much of this is set up in season one, yeah. right? Like all of the stuff with Sam, you know, pretending to be this AOL aim guy. Yeah, like all of this fits in here. Um, but yeah, I mean, um. What's his name? Cross. Taj Cross is Sam. We I mentioned this when we talked about this before, but this character, like, I see myself in this guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was this yeah, kid. Cause, yeah, because he is, you know, he's a kid that has the ability to uh, become cool, but he also feels and he's incredibly flawed yeah and like yes, so deeply flawed so he's epi- somebody who's batting like above the belt like he, yeah, you can because, tell like yeah. his natural instinct is to just go back with gabe and uh jafir and yeah just but of- like but like all of us did back then he wants to be accepted by everyone and the way to do that is to be fucking cool episode two is the wrestling one so yeah. sam uh joins the wrestling team and this is when he really starts to alienate his friends and try to assimilate himself to these fucking asshole wrestling guys. And there are some moments in this episode that are so beautifully done, so perfectly captured, that speak to the middle school experience and just men in general. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the shittiness that we're capable of yeah the the how quickly we're able to just be assholes yeah and it it encapsulates like an entire broad experience that is not limited to just middle school boys and it's not limited to our two leads either because they're they're portraying a a much weirder experience and b a female experience yeah but the writing has gone beyond that it's well it's the type of it's yes it's exactly it's the type of um the the writing speaks to the type of behavior that becomes normalized in society exactly because it's seated in youth exactly and it it never goes away there's just there's no hollowness to the show like like every side of it is portrayed sympathetically if you look more into it um and and it's nuanced and it's double-sided it's just it's incredible man then it's the witch one 
<laughs> I think if I had to pick one episode of the whole season, I probably would pick this one, even though the last two are just absolute knockout perfection with the play. But this witch one, dude, I was losing my shit watching this. This was so funny. Mm-hmm. So it's... funny. The the faces that they're making, the close-ups as they're losing their minds. It's funny, but it's also really like tragic yeah, too. Like because it's... The, the whole conceit of it it's... is the divorce. Yes, that's the whole thing. Escaping the divorce. That this show is so good at writing the line of is it's the divorce and it's also it's Maya being in love with Brant, this dude who will never love her and like cutting off her, like pulling out her own hair to put in the locker and everything else like that. And the genius thing about the show is that those both are shot and portrayed with the same amount of gravity because for both of them, despite now being adults looking at it, the one of them is much worse and more dramatic than the other as a 12, 13 year old, Anything that happens to you is the end of the world. And so the fact that both of those are framed in like the same way is such a genius part of storytelling of this whole show. Then we get um, something that this show, yeah, this show, um, it chooses to do something really interesting, which it basically has little movies in there. So we get, we basically get a little movie uh, as a two. Or I guess what you would get in an hour long episode. Yeah, that's, that's it, more what it is. Yeah. yeah, it it splits it into two half hours. So we we get this two episode arc of Mora. Um, it is some of the most excruciating, hard to watch, cringe shit. Yeah. So this ever. is this is an episode that my girlfriend, whenever we were watching the show together, she like specifically really latched onto because her it and her best her. friend. Kayla, like they had like another friend who I will not name and guess for some reason she's listening to this podcast <laughs> for some yeah, strange but who reason. Like, who like what became a wedge. Like, yeah, who like kind of latched on to this duo and was just like, yeah, let's become the three of us and like kind of just tried to like add herself into the group and she was very rich. So like they like to go hang out of her house because she had all the cool candies yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. I had a friend too who was like that. Um a certain guy, uh he's not a listener. Uh Will uh who uh who was oh, the, the rich kid uh who I was friends with and he had a very nice house and like me and uh some of my friends would go over there and then like it was he was just one of those guys. Like yeah. that's a thing that happens especially when you're in the age of like 12 to 15 and you don't really know how to verbalize like this person's family makes more money than my family so i like going over there than coming to my house yeah and again i i love the specificity of how she's portrayed because she has an intercom in her room i had a friend (laughs) who had that i hadn't thought about it since then like how how weird it is but also yeah the brattiness how like there's no way that this kid would end up good if they are taught from birth that they can just demand anything and get it um i had a friend who was like that who just like it's like yeah if i could just get mad at my mom and get whatever i wanted i guess i would but like my mom like wouldn't let me do that shit and she is awful to her mom yeah and her mom just takes it yeah yeah um and so the character even though this is definitely the closest we get to a flat villain in the season it's still there's an amount of nuance where like when she's finally stripped of her power and her mom has to come like restrain her you're like oh this kid is fucked up (laughs) 
Like this kid has problems, man. And then you never see her again. Yeah, exactly. Like that's it. <laughs> like yeah, she's only in the finale in the audience at the play or that's the, right. episode six. But it, yeah, it's like it's very. Uh, I don't know. It just every every single thing has layers to it in the show, even though this is, you know, a bizarre, wacky show. And I I just I love that so much. So let's get to the play. So then we get this other two episode arc here with play and opening night. Um, These two episodes are two of the best episodes of television I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Like, I I cannot believe that. they did what they did like it's it's indescribable like <laughs> well, it's... how how perfect it is the comedy the tragedy mm-hmm. the the humor the the drama there, there's a moment where uh maya gives a monologue uh as she's preparing for her big role and the way they do it with like the lighting and the costume yeah. and the cigarette and the music and her <laughs> delivery of the lines and everything. Mm-hmm. Like you think that it would just immediately shut you off yeah, and, and you'd be like, Oh, they're just doing a bit. It's actually like some of the best acting. Yeah. I've no, seen in a long it, time yeah, because, <laughs> well, that's the thing that makes the show work more than anything else is Maya. I think especially Maya, honestly, but Maya and Anna are two crazy good dramatic actors. Like they're wildly talented yeah. at at acting in any capacity. Um and it's it's yeah, it's it's fucking ridiculous to watch them just actually cook. And also directorially, how that you know, it transitions from her. You're talking about when like she's like stumbling at home like, over her lines and then it just it slowly yeah. transitions yeah. to her like in full With the costume. spotlight and yeah, everything. Yeah. That that is a directorial leap that a lot of shows would not make. Yeah. And at first you're like, ha ha ha. Yeah. They're doing a little bit. And then you're like, oh, wait. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, this is actually incredibly affecting. And yeah, it's very affecting. And it also plays into one of the larger motifs of the show, which is portraying things sometimes how they see it as opposed to how it actually looks. Because mm-hmm. that happens a lot, actually. Um, there, There's a shot earlier in the show where they're walking through the halls and they use body doubles that are like hot as fuck. Yes. Because that's how they saw themselves in that very moment. They saw themselves as like hot shit. Um, and that that yeah, that's a theme that runs through that works. I think every single time it's done, it's it's either funny or it's affecting. Like right. you, you see their perspective very clearly. And it's not I you know, I don't think that every single person would be kept on board by that. There are a lot of things in this show. More than anything, just the cringiness would get a lot of people. Oh, off. it's like, I yeah. know people who can't watch it. And like it's I've said, <laughs> well, like I've said with like Nathan for you, I can't blame them because it's uncomfortable on purpose. And if you don't, if you watch shit to be comfortable, you're not going to watch this. Why would mm-hmm. you? It's just so good. That- Especially when you have scenes where you know, you're watching a 30 year old woman interacting in fairly intimate scenes with a child Mm -hmm. like you have to there is a certain level of like disbelief to a certain extent that you have to give yourself over to it but the performances are so good and you're just sold into the context yeah so well that it's not that large of a leap yeah if the that's the thing i would tell anyone trying to watch this is please like for me just buy in yeah like don't you know don't don't think like too hard about it don't be like am i really gonna watch just 
for me, just watch a couple episodes fully buying into it. And that'll make you like it more. The more that you buy in, the more you get out of it. Where certain things, if you buy in, you're betrayed by it. You're not betrayed by this show. Like, you, and we've you're all, asked, a lot is asked of you to watch this. We've but it's all worth been it. through experiences like the ones that are depicted in this show. So even just just that, you can at least find something to latch onto on a narrative level. Yeah, I mean, especially just going back, just with the last two episodes, there is so much like very subtle emotional payoff. Like, well, they're feuding, right? They're 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 beefing. Well, there's the the beef between the two of them. There's also, I mean, I don't even know if payoff is the right word for it, but just kind of continuing a beat that was just almost like lingered at in the background. Like we talked about how Gabe is gay. Like, that is a thing that's just on the two-episode arc. It's just like, oh, him and Maya are going to kiss and stuff like that. And then whenever he gets on stage, he covers up his mouth. Like, Sam, who is not featured in this season nearly as much as in season one, gets some time to really shine. Especially, he has a monologue in the last episode that is kind of a gut punch. Like, it is one of the biggest gut punches in the entire show. Because it's like, he is as in love with a person as you can be when you are 13. Yeah. Like that is just kind of his whole thing is that he really is. But he into fucked Maya. up. He made some awful mistakes. You don't impersonate somebody else to somebody that, you know, for Look, that long. I made a fake Neopets back in the day. So like to try and <laughs> look, get up I had, DMs, I so. had like six burner club penguin accounts. So don't <laughs> talk to me. I, I know. I also, I uh, as long as we're shouting all these kids, the this kid named Brady Allen plays Brendan. Oh yeah, um, this who yeah. is like as close to like a a forty year old man that I've ever seen in a child. He's so like curmudgeonly and like so he plays everything like so naturally. It, it like shocks me. Where like you know, uh, Anna Conkle will come up to him and be like, "Hey, like just so you know, like like Maya doesn't really like you." He's like, "Yeah, you know, I know. I'm I'm with someone else now." He's so like. It's like he's in a fucking indie movie in 2003. Like, he's so dialed in. It's crazy. And like I said, an amount of that has to go to, like, the general production to get these kids so fucking dialed in. Because I love watching kid actors when they're good. But generally, I hate kid actors because they're usually not good. And it's not their fault. They're kids. But these kids are good, man. These kids are killing it. I think I had these kids mixed up. I'm like trying to look up their names now. So, so Brady Allen. Uh, so okay, so he's Brendan, the little, he's the yeah. Patton Oswald looking kid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the, the so big he's, blockhead kid. He's the yeah. He's the guy who's the boyfriend. He's really fucking good. He's he's awesome. So earlier when I was saying Gabe, I was thinking Brendan. Because oh, Gabe okay. is the skinny hot guy. No, he's no, not. no, no. Gabe is the Gabe is gay the gay kid. kid who doesn't know he's gay yet. Brennan is the kid who is in the the theater crew with his girlfriend, who like they're always fighting with. You each know other. what's you know what's funny? I think that the actor. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes, yes, yes. I don't want to go so far as to say he's the worst actor in the show, but the actor who does the least is Richard Karn, who's probably the most well-known actor in the entire show. Yeah, he, he is. He pops up like every couple episodes and just kind of like is just there to just be like the loving father. Yeah, because he's, he's. It's just like Richard Karn. Like, what are you? I'd rather just get back to these unknown kids. They they kind of like, look they kind of look a little a little similar. So no, this is Dylan Gage. Yeah, and then this is. 
you don't, Brady you don't Allen. Have, you don't have to justify it to me. Why you, you have to justify a uh, little chubby white? But kids look, 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 look. This guy—they look. Very similar. They, were, they really don't actually. But um, so Richard Karn, season three, we're gonna get more of him because there's the one moment uh when this acting coach is trying to get Maya in the zone, and he's like, "What are you scared of?" She's like, "My dad." <laughs> we'll we'll unravel that. I yeah, you're we're gonna right. unravel that, that, that because is he is moment. you know he's like a traveling musician. There's darkness to the yeah. fact that he's never home. Mm-hmm. It's very well, he's off shooting it, um. Uh, uh, what's it called? Tool time. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's off making home improvement. Yeah, he's home improvement. <laughs> he's learning like racism yeah. from Tim Allen. And in then real the other, time. and then the other name in this is Anna's mom, who's Melora Walters. Oh yeah, Melora Walters. In, is, she's in Magnolia. She is great. Yeah, she, I. She is excellent she, in the show, and I. Well, yeah, really... and that's the the show. Obviously, the thing that elevates it so much is its dramatic moments, and in the finale. When we finally, she finally catches a fucking break in the finale. Yeah. And you, I wanted it so bad because it's the type of character who like, y- like a show will usually acknowledge that they deserve a break, but never give it to them. But you actually get to see her get apologized well, to by Anna. The whole um, divorce subplot, I think is handled really well because um, I think it's tough when you introduce something like that in a show where you're experiencing it from the child's point of view Mm. you're usually i i guess in in a movie as well you're usually uh put in a place where you you are kind of positioned to appeal to either the mom or the dad Mm -hmm. right you like you want to side with somebody depending on like the information that you're given in the story in this show they manage to give you enough to look at both sides pretty objectively and and be able to say like they're both pretty shitty. Both the mom and the dad are fairly they, shitty. Well, they just they shouldn't be together. Right. But I think for the extent of this of this second season as the divorce really starts to kick in, you're fairly sympathetic with the dad. Mm-hmm. Like you because um Anna is. Anna is, well, is yeah, gravitating exactly. more towards like, the dad. Anna doesn't Anna isn't similar to her mom at all is yeah. the thing. Like her mom is, you know, even though we end up liking her, uh, she is like not super smart. She's not like she's kind of shallow, but she cares so much about Anna. Yeah. Um, And the dad just keeps on throwing these like these low blows at her throughout the season. He's, and eventually you're like, awful. shut up. man. Yeah. yeah. It, it, well, it Fuck. does kind of it plays on like that whole classic idea of how like women are more like in tune with the father's figures same way as like men are more in tune with the mother characters Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but i do love to your point about how it does shift like how all these subtle digs that you're at her mom kind of pay off in a way especially like because earlier on in the season we see um especially whenever we realize that it's not her father, whenever we realize uh, Melora Walters brings home another guy to the house and she just hears her mom just like fucking some other dude. And she's just like, Hey, mom and dad are making up. And she finds out that that is not her father who was in the bedroom Mm. with her mom. And so she turns our mom, like kind of how you would as a child. Yeah. And how, but whenever you start to kind of gather more information through her perspective, you're like, Oh yeah, because her dad sucks. Like yeah. that's why she was just looking He's for shitty. somebody else. Yeah, and I am, I am interested. I do think that you're right that 
next season we're gonna get even more from Maya's perspective to kind of we'll get more of her unravel dad. Yeah. her apparently, whole family mess. Apparently, um, season two got a fourteen episode order, so looks like they just split it. I don't know if they shot it all. I can't really find out if they did or not, but it seems oh, like we yeah, are going no. to get a season I, I, two. I was going to mention that it's weird uh, how it is listed on IMDb. Because this felt like so much of a finale. Yeah, yeah. Like they're driving much. away in the car. But apparently, the rest of "quote unquote" season two is going to come out next year. Okay. Um, is what I it hope says. they shot it, man. Yeah, it's it's just it's like stunning how good this show stays being, despite like I said, it's so elastic. It's trying so many things. It's experimental. It's weird. It's losing some people for sure, and yet somehow it's so even-handed. Like it's so it has such a clear identity to it yes um i like i gravitate very much towards like shows like that and this to me is like the shining example right now it is it's one of my favorite yeah. shows on tv i'm so glad that i dove into it because i was extremely skeptical of it with the marketing the marketing just makes it look like this wacky zany yeah bad job by hulu I mean, you gotta hook people somehow, and and yeah, yeah and this, I guess, but it does get wacky. It's kind of disingenuous to what the show actually is. Like, if you look at like just an ad for it, there's there's no way to explain the show in an yeah. ad. I guess, yeah. like it, like how could you capture all of that in an ad? It's yeah. so many things. Because if you really tried to, you would straight up lose people up front. If right, you were like they're they're thirty, <laughs> they're playing thirteen. Uh, it's weird. It there's you know in episode six when like. They're they're just standing in the school hallway and then out of nowhere, um, Anna just starts breastfeeding Maya for a second. <laughs> with like a, yeah, so Maya's good. just sucking like a real titty oh for a second god, there. Oh my god, that's like, so good. It departs from reality in ways that a lot of people will never be able to reconcile. But oh, I, man. I I'm glad that you brought that moment. That yeah. moment, I me and God watching that where it's like what the fuck what the fuck what the it's just like oh no you're good yeah because well because there are all these departures from reality that show how they see themselves this is a departure from reality that shows like their subconscious yeah how they're both like they're they're leaning on each other so hard that it's almost parental like it's just this show rocks harder yeah. than anything man so i, I, I love it more show. than anything um michael angarano plays uh the teacher the drama teacher um of sky high fame hey there we go Whoa, who's what wait what is what is the name of the play that they are performing <laughs> that's very clearly should not be portrayed oh yeah in a middle he, like, school. he like wrote it yeah, himself wrote it. yeah it's like it's i'm it's, gonna beat you up like it's it's very like it's adult. like domestic violence and just smoking cigarettes yeah. and there's 13 year olds he, playing the role uh professor greg rosso did you not did you not know you, you know, didn't I recognize, did rec this guy? I he's recognize the, he's that the guy. star of Sky High. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it. I I screamed. I recognized I, him, but I didn't know. He what looked for. familiar. He has like a Fred Savage look to him. Like look, he, yeah. he looks so uh, affable. It's it's just one of those guys that his career is just not going in the the way. Maybe they'll bring him back for the Sky to. High reboot. Um, and and he writes this play. And one of the other things I wanted to bring out bring up about the play is when they're rehearsing it. And obviously Maya and Anna are beefing and you get this little montage of Anna just like doing the, the tech work for the show and just screaming like tech directions at yeah. the cast. 
God, that was so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because like I said, that episode is when that's like the high school episode in terms of their interactions with each other. Like, and also just like the technical proficiency that they both yeah. have by the end of it. Like, yeah. and uh, the Anna's love interest, the older kid who's watching over the techies, he because he's playing a high school freshman, but he's written as a college freshman. Yeah. The the existentialism of him, like yeah. the, right. the know-it-all mansplain guy. You you are right about that. Yeah. So they're in that episode, they're high schoolers. But then in other episodes, they're like little tiny children because it's just about them being weird kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And it's it's just lovely. And also, this is the other way that the show grounds itself uh, and makes it a little more accessible is it does have tropes the the episode where one friend gets cast in the play and the other doesn't of course right. that's in everything but it's filled with so much specificity because you know that they were both theater kids yeah. like that it, we're getting and deep into yeah. how stage me, i was going to say let me tell you as i was a little theater boy myself for the audience and this show gets theater so right especially the beef between the quote unquote the talent and the yes. crew yeah. this show gets that in like more correct fashion than I think I've ever seen portrayed on screen. I did theater for many years a long time ago. Yeah. And this show gets that so it's like an unspoken animosity between the two where the crew's yeah. like, fuck you. We it's, do all the heavy lifting for you. And the talent's just sides. like, well, you're nothing without us acting on stage. I'm a little <laughs> yeah. tiny Tim. It's not projecting or there's anything. A, Hunter, Hunter did play <laughs> tiny Tim. That's not a joke. There's, yeah. a, there's a scene where they're walking up to the auditorium and they're waiting they're about to go into the door of the auditorium and both the the cast and the crew are walking up to the door from opposite sides of the hallway and the way that scene is staged and directed with each group walking yeah. the way they're walking the way they're it's shot it's all perfect yeah. it, it it all works and you you have the techies come in and be like, hey, crew gets in five minutes before yeah. the cast. Your call time's four ten. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and that that just makes me think. I I I don't know if we brought this up, but again with the specificity, there are so many tiny things with the way people move, the way certain shots are framed, mm-hmm. the way like an actor like just has their face in 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 a beat it's there are just these tiny 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 things that all add up to the bigger whole it's yeah it's so uh thoughtfully done like it's done with so much love i think Mm -hmm. yeah Um, that's the biggest thing yeah and it's just a one of one like there's never been anything like it there never will be because it's so specific and yet it has broadness like it's i i can't fathom how they did it and uh i i want them to keep doing yeah it's just it's so special to me when a show really goes all out and just like i'm gonna be myself like this show is just itself it has such a a feel they let them take a swing i I know i'm glad it and also a lot of it credit goes to the lonely island for producing it because that's right a big part of the lonely islands humor and and in their satire is that they put production value into their songs and their videos. That's the only reason that they worked is because it looks, it really does look like I'm on a boat is shot with the same amount of artfulness as a music video. It just is also funny and stupid. Like, and that's what this show is. It's shot with as much love as any movie or serious piece of art. We love it. That's pen 15. It's on Hulu. 
Can't wait for season three or season two, part two, whatever they decide to call it. I hope they shot it. I hope it's coming out soon. Uh, I'd can't say, I don't recommend have to wait enough. another year for yeah. another season. Meanwhile, I'm just staring deeply into Dylan Gage's eyes. Mm. I love that kid, man. Yeah. Such a great. talent. Such a talent. So glad they found him. So glad they found all the kids on this show. Thanks for listening. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Please donate if you can. Thank you to all the donors. Um, let us know what you thought of the Queen's Gambit and Pin 15. Next week, um, we'll have something good for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to draft Thanksgiving movies. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to draft Thanksgiving foods. Yeah. Maybe we'll take a break next week. You know, we just gave yeah. you two fatties this week. Honestly. So maybe we'll just take the holiday and then beyond that, we got Mank. We got the Oscar episode. We got Soul and Wonder Woman 1984 around the corner. So good stuff coming out. Um, and then it'll be the end of the year. Listomania yeah. before you know it. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for uh, recommending the show, following us on the socials and all that. Keep it safe. Keep it healthy. Wear a mask. And um, Dylan Gage. Come on the show. <laughs> we should try and get. I feel like we could reach out to some of the peripheral, like uh, little cast children. members. We should reach out to little yeah. kids. Yeah, we should reach out to little kids. Ernest, you get on that. Come on the pod, bro. Come on, Ernest. You're the. You're kind of the. Yeah, player. you like podcasts. <laughs> hey, kid. You got a Twitter account? It'll probably got, got to go like TikTok or something. What's your address? We'll send you a merch. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>